Good morning. Please open your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11. And when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. We're going to focus a bit on John the Baptist, but as always, a clear focus is on Jesus, even in the midst of talking about John the Baptist. Let's read and see what, what God has for us today. Matthew 11 and verse 1. And when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And Lord God, we thank you that we can come to your word together today, and thank you that we, we have assurance that it is from you. We have assurance, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is with us and will bring us understanding as to what these verses mean. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that preaches good news and you have sent us to preach good news as well. We thank you, Lord, for, for who you are and we thank you for your presence with us and we thank you for the privilege of being here together today. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're talking today about dealing with doubt. And all I can tell you to begin with is, is that doubt is a part of life. Uh, that kind of goes without saying. Doubt is a part of life, and it, it kind of goes like this. We're, we're feeling confident, and, and then something happens. Or something doesn't happen, and we waver. We question. We, we begin to wonder if we had it wrong. We, we begin to wonder if we've been let down or even if we've been fooled. It happens in every area of life. We're doing fine and something happens and our perspective changes. Plenty of people in the Bible doubted. Moses doubted God's call. Doubted God's name. He doubted his power and his plan as well. Abraham doubted God's promise. That's how we got Ishmael. Gideon doubted God's ability to provide. Eve doubted God's motives. Thomas doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. We all deal with doubts, and it happened to John the Baptist. Much as we don't like to even admit it. It was a long time before I could admit that possibly John the Baptist might have doubted. What exactly is doubt? To doubt is to have misgivings, to, to have questions, to, to not be sure, to, to wonder about something, to to be uncertain, to, to be conflicted in your mind, to not be settled or secure in our belief. It's a lack of confidence. It's a lack of assurance. It, it goes with the idea of questioning and wavering and, and wrestling with truth as it intersects our lives and our present circumstances and our perspective on those things. As we try to make sense of life as it relates to God's purposes and to what He allows but we all deal with doubts, and it happened to John the Baptist. 
Now, by way of review, in the first 10 chapters of Matthew, what Matthew has been showing us is who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit, speaking through Matthew, gives us a great picture of who Jesus Christ is, who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And we have seen his background and his birth and the fulfillment of prophecy surrounding him in the first four chapters, among other things. We saw his words in the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. We saw his works in chapters 8 and 9. Most recently, we saw his instructions to his apostles, to his sent ones in chapter 10. And all of that to show that Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God the Son. And now we come to the next section of Matthew, really Matthew chapters 11 and 12. And Matthew is going to show how people responded to Jesus. How they responded to these things that were being shown about Jesus. And each chapter, chapter 11 and chapter 12, have, have uh, several negative responses followed by a positive encouragement to faith. A uh, positive exhortation. And in chapter 11, Jesus is, uh, Matthew is pointing out doubt right here in this passage, as well as further on false accusations and further on a lack of repentance. But it's followed by encouragement to have faith in verses 25 through 30. You go on to chapter 12 and it highlights rejection and blasphemy and the fruit of evil hearts. And it concludes with a strong appeal to do God's will. Now, in these six verses we're looking at today, our attention is turned from the apostles who were just beginning their ministry now to John the Baptist who is concluding his. So, as we go through these verses, I, I think what we're going to do is glean some applications with regard to the cause and cure of doubt. Last week, we saw that those who receive the gospel favorably are rewarded with eternal life. Our sovereign Savior is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him who pursue and serve him by faith. And so now we land at a passage that speaks of John the Baptist, one who received the gospel favorably, one that announced that the gospel uh, promises were being fulfilled, and one who dealt with some doubts about the nature and identity of Jesus, as we see here. What I want you to see today is something I hope will be comforting to you, hopefully will be an assurance to you, that the true child of God sometimes has doubts. The true child of God sometimes has doubts, and Jesus has a perfect way of dealing with us and our doubts. That's what I want you to see today as we look in these six verses. So let's pick it up at verse 1. First of all, we see that Jesus, after he had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on to teach and preach in their cities, in their villages. He is teaching and preaching. He is explaining and proclaiming the good news. He would have been out in the streets as well as in the synagogues. The main purpose of synagogue services was to read and explain the scriptures. Now, as for the 12, nothing is said of them. But Luke 9, 6 tells us that they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Mark chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 give more detail. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. They did what Jesus sent them out to do. They did what Jesus had instructed them to do. But Jesus goes out as well, and he is teaching and preaching in their cities. We come to verse 2, and we see that John 
hears some news while he is in prison. It goes back to chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, and verse 12 says that when he heard that John had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. John had been arrested not for not for unrighteousness, but for righteousness' sake, and we'll see that in a moment. But John's disciples had access to him while he's in prison, and he sends his disciples uh, and sends word to Jesus by them. Now, in verse 3, we see what, what the word to Jesus was. It was a question. But it's interesting to see that John now reappears in Matthew's narrative, um, and he's in prison. And it doesn't give much background because... Uh, we can safely assume that Matthew's hearers knew all about that situation. But basically, he is in prison, and he sends his disciples to to ask Jesus if he is the one who is to come. That's a code word for the Messiah. It's a rather surprising question from someone whose whole ministry was designed to show that Jesus was the one to come that he was the one who indeed would do remarkable things among men. And, and John the Baptist himself had said some remarkable things about Jesus. Look with me at John chapter 1. In the Gospel of John in, in chapter 1, in verse 29, Jesus was coming towards John the Baptist. John the Baptist sees him, and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You got it right? This is He of whom I said, He's been speaking of Jesus. After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And if you remember, John was born first. John was his cousin. And this uh, is, is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the great I am. Jesus is God. And he says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. That's why John was baptizing. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. That's what John said. What else did John say about Jesus in, 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 in John the Baptist in John chapter 3 and verse 22? Jesus and his disciples are out in the Judean countryside and he was baptizing and John was also baptizing and he was in a, at a different place and a place where water was plentiful and people were coming and being baptized. John had not yet been put in prison, verse 24 tells us. And so a discussion arises between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. He's got some competition, they think. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, that's John, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. He's rejoicing at Jesus' voice. Therefore, this, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, I must decrease. 
This is John the Baptist speaking of Jesus. We're not surprised by these words. We are familiar with these words. So it is rather odd for John now to be asking a question like, tell us, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? The one who is to come is the title John had used for Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. Now why was John in prison? Why was John in prison? He was in prison for the sake of righteousness. And, and further on in Matthew, actually just a little while down the road, Matthew chapter 14, 1 through 12, explains in a bit of fuller extent this incident. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 14, at that time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus and he said to his servants, well, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. That's, that was his take on things because he had killed John the Baptist. Herod had seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, and here's John speaking to this, this ruler and saying, you are sinning against God. Stop doing what you're doing. That's what John is speaking to, was speaking to him. He said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, basically. And, and though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod and so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. The king was sorry because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. And he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother and they came and took the body and buried it and they went and they told Jesus. Interesting that they went and told Jesus. The most important person on earth to John the Baptist was Jesus. So why was it here that he was questioning who Jesus was? Now John is probably imprisoned in Herod's, uh, Herod Antipas' territory in the fortress of Machairus east of the Dead Sea, about 13 miles southeast of Herodium, just south of Jerusalem. And he's in this prison, bound up, and he hears specifically of what Jesus is doing. He's hearing uh, the works referring to Jesus' entire ministry so far, uh, but his focus probably on the miracles that were recorded in Matthew 8 and 9, those kind of things. These mighty deeds should have reinforced John's, John's confidence in Jesus, Right? But John's doubts led him to send his disciples to Jesus and to question him. And again, let me ask the question, why would one with such a high view of Jesus now question him? And I think the answer has to lay solidly on the fact that John was in prison. And as he was in prison and thinking and, and even being mistreated and being in a place where, where he didn't want to be, he might have been thinking, why would the one who promised to free the prisoners not set me free? John may have wondered why there were no signs of the judgment on the wicked that he had predicted in, in Matthew 3 and verse 10. Uh, at that point in time, Jesus' messiahship did not resemble the political and military changes that many Jews anticipated. And he probably wasn't living up to John's expectations as well. Again, he says, are you the one who is to come? Are you he who is to come? Or is there another one who is to come that isn't you? Is, is the Christ still to come is what he's asking. 
F.F. Bruce says that John had been in prison long enough to develop a prison mood. John preached that Jesus would baptize with fire, would thresh with a winnowing fork, and would burn the chaff. To this point, there had been no act, no obvious act of judgment like this. It was, it was once clear enough to John, but now, things, it, he was in a fog. He, he, things were getting a little hazy, and his environment was depressing, and, and Jesus had done nothing to get him out of it. So John needed reassurance, like we all do. And before we get to Jesus' reply to John, I, I think it would be helpful to explain a little bit why I think John was doubting and, and a few things about doubt. Uh, to be fair, when it comes to these verses and what John was dealing with, there are other opinions out there. In fact, the early church, the early church fathers couldn't bring themselves to admit that, that John might have doubted. Uh, all but Tertullian uh, said he, he wasn't doubting. Um, some some say that he was clarifying Jesus' identity to make sure it was the same Jesus. I mean, he's in jail, you know. Uh, but it hadn't been that long, though. It hadn't been that long where Jesus would have been looking different or doing different things. Uh, but some say he was just clarifying Jesus' identity, make sure, since he couldn't see him, he was hearing that this was the same Jesus. Many have suggested that John's purpose was, was only to encourage his own disciples that the followers of John needed to be persuaded just as he was about who Jesus really was. But I think the best answer is that while he believed, he was struggling with doubt due to his present circumstances. And for a long time, I, I really couldn't bring myself to think that John the Baptist would have doubted Jesus. And I was in good company. Like I said, I, the early church fathers and, and many others um, thought the same thing. They, they couldn't, uh, no way could you know, John the Baptist... Uh, been going through a period of doubt. So I think that these six verses actually should encourage us to be honest about the doubts that sometimes we have. God is big enough to handle all our doubts. To doubt is to have misgivings, to question, to not be sure. And, and, and it's interesting that almost all the gospel references to doubt refer to believers, not unbelievers. The kind of questioning that John the Baptist engaged in can only happen in the life of a believer. Look with me at Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31. Jesus speaking. Peter. Peter is, Jesus is walking on the water and Peter wants to as well and he starts walking on the water and in verse 30, he sees the wind and he was afraid and began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately took hold of him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? He doubted that, that, that Jesus could get him across the water. Matthew 21, 21, he says, if you, Jesus says, if you have faith and do not doubt. Um, it's an interesting word, these words that are used for, for doubt, uh, in Matthew 14, 31, the word is distazo, and it means to duplicate, it means to waver, it means to doubt. And it, it comes from a word meaning twice. It's basically being double-minded, thinking two things at the same time and not being sure of which one is right. Will he hold me up? He'll, he can hold me up, he can't hold me up. He can, can he hold me up? Uh, he can't hold me up. And, and wavering between 
that and, and, and Peter sinks because uh, at that point in time, the doubt of whether Jesus could really get him across that water overcame his faith. If you have faith and do not doubt, Jesus said in Matthew 21, 21, it's, it's the Greek word uh, diakrino, and it means to distinguish or judge. It's the idea of judging something to not be true. Mark eleven twenty three says, if you don't doubt in your heart. Interestingly, at the, at the end of the book, at the end of the gospel of Matthew, and Jesus has risen from the dead. And in Matthew 28 and verse 17, Jesus uh, appears and, and when they see Jesus, it says they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then he says, all authority has been given to me. And he gives the, the uh, great commission as, as we know it. But they were duplicating thoughts in their minds. They were wavering. They were doubting. In Luke 24, 38, Jesus asks, why do doubts arise in your heart? And that, that word is a different word for doubts. It's where we get our word dialogue. It, it, the idea is they were reasoning and arguing and disputing and really having speculations uh, within themselves. They were arguing with themselves inside their, in their hearts. They were, their thoughts were conflicting. We know how that is. We, we experience that on a daily basis. Romans 14 in the context of, uh, of, of doubtful things, uh, in R- Romans 14, it, it basically speaks of, um, of whether or not you should uh, eat food back then that was sacrificed to idols. And some people would say, hey, it's just food. And others would say, hey, people used it for a, an immoral purpose, so you know, we shouldn't eat it. And, and basically, the, uh, Romans 14.23 says, he who doubts is, is condemned if he eats. Because whatever is not of faith is sin. And you could ask the question, well, was John sinning when he was asking this question about Jesus? And I just don't know the answer to that, and I don't think we can say, because only, only God and John knew that, the answer to that question. Uh, sometimes in Scripture, it's very easy to, to find out, because it's, it's spoken so clearly that, that, hey, stop doing that, you know, you're sinning. We don't know for sure, but I think it's kind of interesting. The question gets asked so many times in Christian circles, hey, uh, is that a sin, you know? And, and a lot of times it's because people want to, well, they have a tender conscience, a tender heart, and they, they don't want to sin. But other times it's because we're indignant that someone would even say that we're sinning. And I just think that is so unbelievable that people that would say, I believe uh, in the cross of Christ, that, that, that when Jesus paid for my sins, that we would take issue in being called sinners. I just, I just it blows my mind that someone would, would, would be indignant about being called a sinner when our sin sent Jesus to the cross. Our sin is what, is what when we come to the table this morning and, and, and celebrate the bread and cup, we're remembering that Jesus died for our sins and that we know we still sin. So let's not be so indignant if someone says, hey, by the way, you might have been sinning. Well, probably, you know. You know if you ask, tell me that, I say, you know, there's a good chance that I was. James chapter 1 also talks about doubt and, and um, the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, uh, and uh, is unstable in their mind. and It's not a good place to be, but it's a place we go. It's a place we land, and, and so we, we need to uh, deal with that. And I, I want to note a couple things about doubt here. First of all, make, I want to make it really clear that doubt is not the absence of faith. It's a lack of it. It's the idea of, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
Lord, I believe and I believe, but not as much as I know you probably want me to, and I don't, I'm not feeling it, you know? Help my unbelief. I believe? Help my unbelief? It's a lack of faith. It's not an absence of faith. Doubt is not unbelief. It's basically partial trust. And doubt is not rejection or denial of Jesus. Doubt is, is, is really humble. In the kind of doubt that John is doing, it's humble. It's, uh, rejection and denial of Christ is arrogant. So you need to be clear that doubt is not the, the absence of, nor does it cause us to lose salvation. Don't be afraid of your doubts. John the Baptist, by the way, was not questioning the truthfulness of God's word revealed in the Old Testament. He was not re- questioning the baptism of Jesus. He was just not sure of his understanding of those truths. I think he was aware that he was wavering. So if you have a, a fever, you go to the doctor and you let him check it out. You go to the great physician. Well, he was going to Jesus with his doubt. He went to the right place. He sent his disciples. He couldn't go. So he, he sent, and, and it was from John to Jesus because Jesus said, you go and tell John. Here's what I want you to go and tell John. This, it was clear that this was from Jesus, not from his disciples. This was not a disciples of John question. This was a, this was a John the Baptist question. You can put it this way, what we, what we possess, our faith, is strong enough to withstand questioning because of who possesses us, our Savior. So to, to doubt is not to sin, but to keep doubting can be. Doubt is a part of life, and so is assurance. And as we see, even John the Baptist had some doubts, but Jesus corrected him, Jesus comforted him, and he, he really basically warned him not to let him cause him to stumble. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble over me. He told him to stop doubting, basically. So to doubt is not to sin, but it can lead you there. And it all depends on what you do with it. Now, in verses 2 and 3, we can see what caused John the Baptist doubts. Doubts have causes. And we can see, we can really almost connect the dots and, and, and see that these also can be the cause of our doubts at times. So the causes of doubts, first of all, number one, difficulties. John the Baptist was in prison. He was experiencing difficulties. Uh, Soon after this, he would be beheaded. He would be murdered. He would be killed because of his righteous stand. So difficulties, you know, you might be facing something that, that might put you in a different frame of mind. I like how it says in Job that the words of the despairing man belong to the wind. Don't hold everyone to what they say in a moment of, 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 of doubt or of, of, of unbelief even. Just let them speak and let, let them re, then, then deal with that. But difficulties happen and John the Baptist was experiencing extreme difficulties being in a prison and it was not, it was not a, a hotel. Number two, another cause of doubt is discouragement. Well, he's there and he's experienced difficulty and now, now he's, being, he's feeling defeated. He's feeling deflated. He's, he's depleted of his resources. And, and he shouldn't be trying to make any big decisions at this time. It's one of my general rules is when you're exhausted, don't make any big decisions. I think about 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19 and here's Elijah on, the, on Mount Carmel and he's got this huge victory over the prophets of Baal. And then in chapter 19, he says, I just want to die. <laughs> he's totally depleted. He's discouraged. He's basically saying, God, I am the only one left. You know what God says? 
What are you, what are you thinking, Elijah? You, I got 4,000 that, that haven't bowed the knee to Baal yet that I have reserved. You're not the only one. Get up. Get back to work. You know, he took a nap, right? He ate some food. He drank some water, and then he went. And he went in that for a long time, I think 40 days in the strength of that food. But what has you discouraged today? You must be facing some, something or know someone or be ready to be going through some tor- type of discouragement. It's a part of life. We can't deny it. The third cause that I would see here is the idea of disappointment. Disappointment, disillusionment. Thing, things weren't working out as planned, according to John the Baptist. And it, it, Think about when things don't work out as you think they should work out and, and it doesn't fit your expectation. You know, sometimes our expectations get exceeded. You, you know, you're going to go somewhere and, and you, you plan your trip out and you get there and you're like, wow, this is better than I ever imagined. But there are also those times when you, you plan it all out and, and you drive up and, it, and it's, it's a dump. You know, and you're like, I don't want to go there. That's not what the picture looked like. Well, John the Baptist had a picture in his mind at what was going to be happening and what time it was going to be happening, just like we do. And, and he was dealing with disappointment. The kingdom of heaven wasn't unfolding quite like he thought it would at that point. Think about this. Jesus let him stay in prison. Jesus allowed him to be beheaded. You think Jesus didn't know about that? He knew full well about that. That was his plan for John the Baptist. That was painful. Sure it was. Doubt has its causes. Now let's move on to verses 4 and 5 and, and, and 6. But in verse 4, what we see is Jesus answering John. He, he, he's answering John, and like I said before, it's addressed to John. And he basically says, you go and tell John. That's a clue to help us see that John was facing doubts and uncertainty. Uh, Jesus sends the disciples back with an answer that would serve as a reminder to him. It relies heavily on the prophet Isaiah, especially Isaiah 61.1. What does Isaiah 61 and verse 1 say? Well, almost the same of what Jesus says in his answer. But uh, this is what Jesus, the words Jesus read from the scriptures uh, the first time he went into the synagogue and, and stood up and read. And here's what he read. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And it goes on, and there's judgment, actually, uh, in that context. But, but Jesus, Jesus, relying heavily on the prophet Isaiah, especially Isaiah 61.1, basically where the Messiah is predicted of doing all these things, and he's telling John that the messianic promise, the promise about the Messiah, is being realized. Now, John seems to be looking for a little more evidence than, than this at this point, but it's as if Jesus is asking him to be content with this for right now the rest later and and god's timing we know is perfect god's god's timing is exactly and things happen exactly as they're supposed to happen as god's plan unfolds and john's going to need to be realizing this that the gospel is being preached and authenticated by the miracles of healing and of resurrection and yes isaiah went further and spoke of coming judgment the messiah judging the nations who didn't believe, but Jesus doesn't refer to this. He's saying this is going to take place in God's time. Deal with what's happening now. 
So he says to the disciples of John, you go and tell John the things that you've heard and seen. The disciples of John weren't in prison. They saw and they heard. John had only heard. And Jesus, in his reply, is pointing to his works, but now he itemizes them. Now he lists them. And and Matthew has shown each of these type of miracles in chapters 8 and 9. And Jesus is reminding John of the significance of his specific miracles of healing. And they were, in fact, undermining the evil forces and powers of the universe. And he alludes to his preaching the good news, illustrated in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he says, and the dead are raised, maybe like the widow, the son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7, 11 through 17. But you, you, you've got to wonder, did, did Jesus raise the dead here too, is spiritually speaking? Did, did Jesus bring John out of his doubt? I, I believe he did. John, it's like he's saying to John, tell your story over and over again to his disciples and remind him of these prophetic texts. Remind him of the word of God. And then in verse 6, Jesus basically in beatitude form encourages John. Blessed is the one, blessed is the one who does not stumble over me, who is not offended by me. That word is, is offended or stumble is, or fall away is, is the Greek word scandalizo. It, it, it's translated take offense and to stumble or to cause to sin. It's where we get our word scandal. And it's, 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 I think that many believers try to minimize John's doubts. They, they, don't, they don't want to see that. But I think we should, we should recognize that open and inquiring doubt was taken seriously by the early church. And, and faith is not simply uh, agreeing to a set of, of propositions, but it is life with God. It is Christ in us, our hope of glory. And it can withstand questioning. It can withstand doubt. John chapter 16 and verse 1, Jesus said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from falling away. It's the same word uh, for scandal there. Um, I think what, what these, these last three verses show us is the way out of doubt. How Jesus could bring John the Baptist out of, uh, out of doubt and, and what you should do if, if you're experiencing it or trying to help someone who is. Because again, you are either going through it right now or you will go through it or you're trying to help someone who's in the midst of it. And the cure for doubt, what Jesus did with John. First of all, he reassured him. There was reassurance. It was encouragement. It was that all is, is going according to God's plan. Do you notice that Jesus didn't condemn John? He comforted him. He had mercy on him. It's like Jude one twenty two that says, have mercy on some who are doubting. We all need reassurance at times, even the strongest and most secure of us. We need reassurance that all is well, that, that God is in control, that all is not lost. We need our perspective built up. And God's word leads to assurance. Jesus basically quotes the Old Testament to him. John is wavering, like Peter maybe, while he's on those, those walking on the waves, and he needs reassurance. I know how doubts can develop. You're condemned by man, so you doubt if God will forgive you for all that you've done. You're lied to, so you doubt if Jesus will keep his promises. Assurance is for knowing for sure. That's why assurance of salvation is so important for believers. You shouldn't doubt if you're a believer, if you're a believer. 
We all need our assurance refreshed and renewed, and John needed that that day. The second cure for doubt that Jesus gives him is, is the idea of remembering, remembrance of what God has done. And verse, 11, uh, verse 5 of chapter 11, do you, do you realize that Jesus was preaching the gospel to John, who was poor in spirit at that time? I love uh, J.I. Packard's book, Knowing God. It's been around since the early 80s. And one of the things he says in, in the first chapter is the idea of, of remembering God's word, meditating on God's word. And often it's a, it's a matter of, of arguing ourselves out of doubts, telling ourselves the truth. We, we think one thing, but we, we hear God's word and we think it over and, and we remember. And, and that leads us to hope. I know that my, my prayer life was forever changed when I heard of, uh, of Pastor Ramon from the DR praying for my daughter Alexandra a couple years ago. I, I kind of choke up every time because the thing about it is when we, they were in the DR and she was really sick, but the thing that, that, that struck me was, was how Matthew told us that he was praying for her. That over and over again he would say, God, we remember when you did this. We remember when you did that. Remember the time that you came through in this situation. And based on all those things, because you are faithful, we're going to trust you right now to do what only you can do. Because God is faithful to all his promises. We've got to tell ourselves the truth. Remember what God says in his word. And that leads to confidence. I think it's comforting to see Jesus' response to John's doubts. That he doesn't blast him, but that he does reassure him. Reminds him of scripture, reminds him of his presence, of the power of God displayed through his life and ministry as foretold in Isaiah. So if you struggle with with honest doubts, go to the place that they can be taken care of. Turn them over to Jesus. Find your comfort and security in him, not in, in nursing your doubts. Don't let them take you to the wrong place. The last thing I'll, I'll, I'll bring up is just this, an idea of uh, realignment. You know, if your car is out of alignment and you let go of the wheel, it veers to one side or the other. And, and to, uh, you, the idea of realignment is, is something's out of alignment and you don't need to replace everything. You need to make some minor adjustments. And it's amazing how minor adjustments can, can make all the difference. And, and John was in need of realignment. He needed the, uh, 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 to renew his accurate view of Jesus. And to refocus on truth and get back in line with what, what Jesus was doing. So in verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed is the one who finds no occasion for stumbling in me. Blessed doesn't stu- who the person who doesn't stumble over me. And this both comforts and corrects John. It would have comforted him, but also reminded him that, hey, I'm in a fog and I need to be corrected here. I need to be realigned. Now, Jesus might not do what you think he should do. Jesus might uh, not do in the timing that you think what he has promised. But you can be sure of this, that Jesus is doing exactly what he intends to do for his glory and our good right this very moment and every moment after this. Things might not work out like you think they should or you think they will, but God is in control. So allow the word of God, allow, allow God himself to realign you with Jesus' program. Uh, if, we're, if we're honest, we'll all admit that there are times, especially when we feel defeated and exhausted and discouraged and depleted, that we doubt. 
we believe, but we find it tough to reconcile present circumstances with eternal realities. But the glorious gospel of the grace of God in Christ cures our doubts. It will cure our distrust. It will cure even our suspicion of God. When we question his motives, when we wonder if he really has our, our good in mind. So the true child of God sometimes has doubts. But Jesus has a perfect way of dealing with us in our doubts. 